0: Jude uh, was Jesus' younger brother. Uh, he was brother to Jesus and to James, who wrote the book of James. Um, and uh, it, it's, when we read that, when we know that, it adds something to the book for me to know that this was Jesus' brother, that this guy, when he talks about the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God expressed through Jesus Christ, he's talking about a guy that he shared the house with. Like, it, it's kind of mind-boggling to think that, you know, this was his uh, big brother. And yet, he came to a place, as James did, uh, after Jesus' death and resurrection, of finally believing that his brother, this His earthly brother was the Messiah. Father, open the word to us, I pray, for this simple word now in Jesus' name. Okay. Jude chapter... uh, Sorry, chapter. Verse 17 through 21. Just these uh, five verses. And I'll go back. I'll reference some of the early verses. But Jude uh, verses 17 to 21. It says, But you, beloved ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. That they were saying to you, in the last time there shall be mockers, following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit... Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Okay. Two times in this passage, he starts out saying, But you, beloved, ought to remember the words of the apostles. He carries on a little bit. He talks about it. And then he says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Back in the beginning of this book... Uh, in the first four verses, Jude says, Jude, he names himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Okay. A a bondservant of Jesus Christ, my big brother. He says... Um, To those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. He says again, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Again, in this passage, in this section, he calls them the beloved two more times. He's, He's establishing something. Beloved. Beloved saints. And it's like, God loves these people that the brother, the younger brother of Jesus is writing to. And he's calling them. This is like, like we were just singing, I'm a child of God, yes I am. It's like I'm making a declaration. It's a good and right thing for us when we're worshiping to declare things out. Not just when we're in here, but to do that regularly regularly. Uh, in our time before God, to declare what God says of us. I am who you say I am. So when I stand praying, I'll look and say, according to this, I'm a saint. That means... A set apart one or a sanctified one, which means set apart for God's holy purposes. I'm a saint according to your word and I'm going to just believe it. I'm going to accept it. I am a child of God according to your word and according, as I was just praying a moment ago, to the witness of the Holy Spirit. I'm a child of God and I'm going to declare it because I, you're like me, I'm sure. Your mind can gravitate so easily to all of the negatives the things that you are not am i right anybody else you gravitate to the things that make you feel like uh oh, i'm just i'm a little person i'm a i'm not that good i hear of this person and oh why couldn't i be like them i'm i'm not like them and it's so easy to go with that isn't it It's more challenging but much more fruitful to take God's word and say, hold it, what does God say about me? That's what I'm going to believe. So this is a good book. I encourage you, read it, and afterward, call yourself beloved. I am God's beloved. God loves me. He expects me to accept His love. Okay, two times He calls them, He says, but you, beloved. Um... God is not indifferent toward the people who have responded to Jesus Christ and the love of God. He's not indifferent. The Bible says every single time a sinner turns and repents, what happens? There's a party in heaven. All the angels of heaven rejoice. I think they all stand and go, oh, bravo. Oh, that's great. No way. Every time a sinner turns, it's like, wow, destined for hell. And it's like in sports, all the momentum is going this way. And there's an interception or something happens and it goes the exact opposite way. It's like I'm headed at express speed to hell. God steps in, intervenes and boom, everything's going the other way. And the angels of heaven are rejoicing. Glory to God, you've done it again. You've done this great thing. God continues to do this all the time. And he, he turns it around and heaven has a wild party for one sinner that turns. So imagine what's happening around the world in places like Iran where they say it's the fastest growing church in the world. Muslim women turning by the thousands to Christ. Imagine the, the celebration. It's like, wow. Wow. God, thank you very much. Glory to God, only you could do this. Do more of it, God. God is not indifferent. Amen? God is excited about those things. Now, we're saved by God's glorious grace. He gives us something we don't deserve. Right? We couldn't earn it. We can't possibly do enough to earn it. God gives us grace. In his book, uh, Jerry Bridges, an author from... Um, a couple decades ago, in his book, Redeeming Grace, Jerry Bridges says, if grace isn't preached to the point of being dangerous, and by that, he meant, if you don't preach that God is more generous than we think wise, more generous than we think he should be, Except when it has to do with us. (laughs) When it has to do with us, then yes, bring it on. But But even with us, we know God is more generous than we deserve. Amen? He's more generous than we should expect. And Jerry Bridges says, If grace is not preached to the point of being dangerous, it probably hasn't been preached as fully as it should be. If it's like, well, God doesn't love us, but... You know, we need to be balanced in this. No, God's not balanced. Think of the people that came to Jesus and he loved them. And somebody else is saying, and they did say, don't touch him. He's a sinner. Don't touch him. He's a leper. Don't, don't give her help. She was caught in adultery. And Jesus gives more grace than we think wise. Than we... It, it's never earned. It's never warranted. He always gives more because according to the Bible, quoted in Romans 1, all have gone astray. There is none righteous, no, not one. All have gone astray. And Jesus looks and says, you know, this is the grace of God, more than you could ever Ask or imagine more than you could ever earn, more than you could ever warrant. His grace is, it seems, dangerously generous. Because, like it says here in verse 4, some people, ungodly persons, have turned the grace of God into licentiousness. What, What does that mean? What is licentiousness? License to sin. Oh, God is that good? Well, then I can just sin. God is that good. And He saying, uh-uh. He's extremely generous. But if we think, no, I'm just going to therefore use the grace of God as a license to sin, it shows that, no, you haven't really understood the grace of God or the love of God. Right? And so, the... This is where the grace of God does its work in us, is to show us how generous and broad the grace of God is without it being a license to carry on in our sin. Now, we are called in this book God's beloved, which means his much-loved children, his much-loved people. That has got to be the biggest hurdle to close relationship with God is really believing that God loves us to that extent. He's for me. You are for me, not against me. You know, that's scriptural. Psalm 56, 9. David says, This I know, that God is for me. I I would encourage you this week, all week, tell yourself that. Tell yourself over and over, this I know. You can look it up in Psalm 56.9. This I know, that God is for me. And keep telling it to yourself until you believe it. God, show me what that even means. I'm calling myself your beloved because you call me that in your word. Okay, that's a foundation, simple, and it's... It's deep and wide, but that's simply our foundation here. Now, look at this. He says again in verse 17, But you, beloved, ought to remember the words spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were sent with this message. They were sent to inform and establish and transform us in the new life that comes in Christ. And he says, remember their words, beloved, specifically this part of the message. He says, there will be irreverent, scandalous, rebellious people. He says, mockers. Following after their own ungodly lusts. Okay? There will be ungodly people. And he says back in the early part of this, they'll come in among us. Okay? Now, I want you to just look at the person next to you. (laughs) Now, we... This isn't so that we start... You know, looking, okay, so who is it? It isn't me, so it must be one of the ones next to me. No, it it doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean that they're, it, it doesn't mean it has to be that person. But we have to be those that aren't letting it be us. We don't have to worry about whether it's somebody else. We don't want to let it be us, that we're walking in an ungodly way, that we're walking as those harboring or as verse 18 says, following after their own ungodly lusts. And you know that word uh, godly means, it's an English way of saying god-like. So ungodly means ungodlike. That's what that means. So if somebody is godly, what does it mean? Well, it means they're kind of like God. They're, there are aspects of who they are that reflect who God is. The ungodly, it means they're ungodlike. I don't see the spirit of God in that. I don't see godliness, godlikeness in following after these lusts, these selfish things, these, this independence from God, okay? We were forewarned by the apostles and told beforehand by these credible people with authority To expect troublemakers, selfish, ambitious, he says, mockers, like people who ridicule, people who are irreverent, in the church, who will stir up conflict, and it says divisions. There's something God hates. He doesn't like division. He's against it. He says, beware of this. We were told to beware of it. So, We know there will be difficulty, amen? We know there will be difficulty in the church, right? Michael just said, what a great family. And I believe he's right. But there's going to be difficulty, right? I know it won't come from me, but uh, (laughs) there will be difficulty. It's just the way it is. There will be, and it'll usually be connected to people. Usually, it'll be connected to human beings. Remember this. He says, don't be thrown off course by it. Don't be surprised by this. You were told beforehand on good authority. God forewarned us through the apostles so we wouldn't be thrown off course when it comes. Now, he says here in um, verse 18... They were saying to you, in the last time, there will be mockers. The last time means the time between Jesus' ascension and his return. Now, we are definitely in the last time, and I think maybe in the last days of the last days. Um, But regardless of how close we are, we have to walk faithfully before God. There are people introducing, he says, ruinous destructive ungodlike ideas and desires in the church and divisions they're worldly minded and it's a real and present danger in the church but you beloved he says he he says this here's some some bad news stuff is going to happen and then he says again but you beloved okay you are not one of those There's going to be some of that. But you, beloved, you know, sometimes the word but comes and it is disheartening, right? Somebody says, oh, I I really like the way you do this. And, you know, you've got this going on and that going on. And sometimes you can just sense it. And then you, then here it comes, but, (laughs) you know, John, I want to, I just want to tell you, you know, your boss. John, I just want to tell you you're doing I think you're doing a, a good job here, and it's like, "Oh no, why do I feel like that like the word "but" like a big dark cloud is about to descend upon my life? You're doing a great job, and you know there's <laughs> telltale signs there are a lot of things you're doing well, oh no <laughs> A lot is a lot different than everything <laughs> there's a lot you're doing well, but but other times, somebody might say something like, hey, listen, you know, we got off to a rough start and, you know, this didn't work that well. And the word but is like a turning a corner that's like, woo <laughs> there's something good coming. You know, John, I think you've done a, a very average job. <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, I think with the right training, you could be excellent at this. And I'm going to double your salary. Well, I praise the Lord. That's a good but. No, that's, there are, the, it can be good. And this is one where he says, hey, coming in among you, there are going to be some mockers and some ungodly people and some bad things going on. But you, beloved, it's like, oh, that's not me. There's going to be this and this and this, but you, beloved... Oh, wait a minute. So I, that's not me. He's already made, made it clear that isn't you. At least it doesn't have to be you. But you, beloved, he says, building yourselves up on your most holy faith instead of pursuing your own ends, instead of pursuing you know selfish things, You, beloved, are building yourself up. Now, he does this. He distinguishes faith here for the beloved. But he he distinguishes it saying, the beloved from... He's distinguishing them from those worldly things. He says, you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Now, this faith, faith is what? Trust, dependence on God, belief in God... But this one, he sets apart. This is most holy faith. What makes it most holy? Well, one, it it came from God. This is not just a faith that I manufacture. Our faith is a gift from God. It's something somebody, an, an author wrote a few years ago. He said, some faith finds us. We don't go find it. Some faith finds us. What did he mean? Something like this. You see something happen... And what you saw happen, now you believe because you saw it. It's based on evidence. It's like it found you. You didn't just decide, oh, I'm going to believe in this. No, you saw something. I experienced something in Christ when I came to him that it's like I kind of felt like it chose me. Like he chose me. Like I, once I saw the evidence, it wasn't like I could turn it off. It, it's like, I believe, I see who he is, I see something of him, and I'm believing, not because I just decided, oh, I like that, I like how that fits with my life, and I'm going to choose this faith. No, it chose me. I believed what I saw, and I, I. it's like I couldn't turn away. That's a holy faith given by God, and the focus is on God. It comes from him, and it focuses on him. Most holy faith. It's something... Valuable and set apart from the mundane and the profane. It's set apart from just daily common things. It's like a precious jewel. It's something different. It's valuable. And so he calls it building yourselves up on your most holy faith. That heavenly faith that God gave you. then he says, you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, what? Praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Praying in the Holy Spirit. Well, it could mean in 1 Corinthians, he speaks of praying in the Spirit, and it means specifically praying in tongues. And that is a powerful thing, a useful thing, a good thing. I'm glad that I have that resource to pray in that language, that uh, God language directly to God. And it it can, I, I, I'm reluctant to say it bypasses the brain because in the gospel, in the biblically, we are never told to set our brain aside. However, you know and I know that our brain can get in the way to things, to faith, right? Just like Peter's did when he saw wind and waves. His brain told him, huh, this is impossible. Even though Jesus had said, come. And he was walking on the water. He was doing it. But his brain told him, this, you don't walk on water. You you don't do this. It's impossible. So, He wasn't told to put his brain aside. He was told to believe something that's higher, the word of God. We have that same thing. We are um, praying in the Holy Spirit. We pray as the Spirit gives us clarity. Because some of our prayers are selfish, right? Some of our prayers are kind of human and, you know, in their origin and that. And God intervenes and shows us, yeah, that's... I understand why you pray that, but that's... So praying in the Spirit, praying according to the Spirit of God, whether it's in tongues or whether it's with the understanding, praying in the Holy Spirit, building yourself up, recharging yourself, getting new strength, gaining it, building back up on your most holy faith. This is a real essential for us because we know that we drain, right, we we our faith drains down so we need to pray in the holy spirit to build ourselves up on our faith so that we can keep going in this hour amen if you yeah praying in the holy spirit it's necessary so he says keep yourselves or sorry building yourselves up on your most holy faith praying in the holy spirit and here's the here's the point building yourselves up praying Uh, on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, I love this word. I had read this many times before I recognized what's going on here. Pray in the Spirit and get built up. And he says, do that to keep yourselves in the love of God. Well, who's got too much of that? Nobody. Nobody. I want more, always more, never enough. And he he says, here's how to keep yourself, to continue in the love of God, to preserve yourself in the love of God, to maintain yourself in the love of God. The word actually gets used in different places in the New Testament and it means to guard or uh, to watch over Keep yourselves. Guard yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Well, man, let's do it. Praying in the Holy Spirit to keep ourselves in God's love so that we continue to walk in it and know that, hey, I am a child of God. I am the beloved. I am known by God and he's happy to know me. This I know that he is for me. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Go ahead and say it. I need to keep myself in the love of God. I need to keep myself in the love of God. This expression of staying in it, remaining in the love of God, steadfast in the love of God, the way that 21 is worded implies... That it's possible to stray from God's love. You, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. Well, if he's saying you can keep yourselves in it, it means you can also drift from it, right? You can stray from it. He's saying it's possible to not remain rooted and established in the love of God. But he says, don't build yourselves up on your most holy faith and don't wander from the supreme blessedness of God's love. Is there any possible, is there any possibility that we'll find greater pleasure elsewhere in this life than in God, than in the love of God? Is it possible that there's something that's more satisfying than God's love. I mean, even on a human level, pretty much the highest thing that we experience is love, right? Even on a human level. And imagine, again, the love of God coming from someone who's sinless, who's perfect, whose judgment is not clouded by sin, whose judgment isn't clouded by ignorance like ours, who n- nothing about him is, is diminished or is, is weak or is uncalculated. or, And he loves us could there possibly be anything more satisfying, more enriching, more fulfilling, more empowering, more hopeful? No, absolutely not. There is absolutely nothing in this life or the next that we could want more than God. Absolutely nothing. I offer that as just a simple reality. Lots and lots of words. Forgive me. But this. Don't let this escape you. God loves his beloved. Oh, I thought God loved everybody. Yes, he does. But the ones who experience the benefit of it are the ones who respond to it. So... You know, I mean, it's, if, if we reject his love and say, and people are doing that, no, I want to be independent of you, God. I, I don't need it. I can do life by myself. I, I don't want the love of God. You're invisible. I can't see you. I, I only believe in the tangible and I want the. No. If the love of God actually comes into us and we respond affirmatively, it's, there's nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. There never will be anything that can compare to the reality of being loved by one who it says is love. That's the nature of who he is. He is love. And he loves you. He loves us. Nothing could possibly compare. So the brother of Jesus, imagine the revelation he had of this. I don't know what it... I, there's, of course, we can't, I don't think, begin to fathom what it would have been like that, you know, the guy in the next bed was, was God in the flesh and he would have loved his brothers in a way that, and his family and the people around him. I can't even imagine, but I should be able to because God's still doing it today. He's still loving people like that today. And he can break in on us so that we can, with Jude, keep ourselves in the love of God. I want to stay there. I want that to be the kind of mm, the state of my life. That I'm aware that I'm loved by God. I've told some of you this story before, but the job I worked at just before I went uh, to school and went into the ministry, I was in a a government job in Edmonton, and my, not my immediate boss, but the lady that was uh, like a manager over a department, she walked in and um, said to me, like, how are you doing today? And I just said, I'm doing great. And uh, I had had a great prayer time. I felt filled. I said, I'm doing great. And she said something about uh, why, what's so good. And I boldly blurted out, my heavenly father loves me. And she said, well, he must not love me because I'm not doing so great. And again, blurting out, you know, (laughs) insert foot. I just said, Oh, he loves you, you're just not loving him back. This is my boss. <laughs> and so anyway, when I was in the unemployment line after that, I know I I thought, Oh, what a stupid thing to say, John. How could you say that? Like you're not loving him back. And I'm sorta of thinking afterward, oh, you dummy. You know, hope there's nothing pink coming into the mail slot, you know. And uh, so then later, she came to me a day or two later and uh, said, I have not been able to get that out of my head. And she was a backslidden Pentecostal believer, but had kind of strayed, didn't keep herself in the love of God. She strayed off. She said, I haven't been able to get that out of my head. And I said, oh, Good, I said, I thought afterward, what did I just say to you? Like, you know, you're not loving him back, you know. And uh, she said no, and she came back to Christ. She came back and, you know, I haven't seen her now in, since I moved out here 30-some years ago. But uh, this idea that God loves everybody, but the ones that have the benefit of it are the ones who respond to it. Like... Not because he loves us more, but just because we, okay, that, I like that, I'll accept, and then we experience what the benefit of that is. So here, again, this thing, just to wrap up, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously. We're praying and we're waiting. We're waiting anxiously or with great anticipation for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Man, have we got a bright future. Keep yourselves in the love of God now, waiting with great anticipation for what's coming. Because it'll be the full revelation of the great love of God that if we were to get it now, we'd be burnt to a crisp. I don't think we could, you know, take it we just can't. We don't have, you know, this body, these eyes, our our makeup right now just could not contain what's coming, what God's going to reveal. So keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting with anticipation for what is coming, what he's about to reveal to